African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. It's the 16th of June, 2021. Happy Youth Day if you're in South Africa. Good morning to you. Welcome to African Dialogue. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg at the SABC headquarters in South Africa. Listen to us on the DSTV audio bouquet. We're on channel 802. Or you can also find us online on www.channelafrica.co.za. On the program today, we're looking at Youth Day in South Africa, but also particularly the issues that are facing young people in 2021. Um, can what, what are we reflecting on and uh, these challenges? How can they be overcome? Youth unemployment is on the rise. Inequality is also on the rise. How can the youth of 2021 navigate through these challenges? We'll do that with our two guests after the news. Welcome back to African Dialogue. If you're listening to us, we are on DSTV Audio Bouquet on Channel 802. You can also go to us on our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Today, the 16th of June, 2021, South Africa will commemorate the 45th anniversary of the 1976 Soweto Uprising, the day which is now known as Youth Day in South Africa. On June 16, 1976, thousands of students marched peacefully to demonstrate and protest against the government's directive to have Afrikaans as a compulsory medium of instruction. Meanwhile, the greatest struggle faced by young people today is unemployment, which is sitting at 45%. Uh, meanwhile, also uh, President Sildamapos has emphasized the government's commitment to creating more jobs for young people. To help us with the discussion looking at Youth Day and the challenges faced by the youth of 2021, we're on the line to Dr. Badi Luhodla. He's the former Statistician General of South Africa. We're also speaking to Soraya Jones from the Inyatelo Finance, and she's the director there. Thank you both for giving us your time, and good morning. Uh, good morning. Good morning, uh, Deb. Good morning. Uh, good morning, uh, listeners. Let, let me start with you, Soraya. It's, it's 2021, June 16. What is it uh, that the youth of today are, are celebrating? Uh, good morning, Ayanda, and good morning to your listeners and to Dr. Lechofa as well. Um, you know, today, uh, a good temperature check. I just I, I was on Twitter this morning. You'll see that the number one trend is Youth Day in June 16th, but number four is unemployment. So you can see the link between those two. So I think the mix is there's, you know, gratitude, acknowledgement to the students of 1976 and what they've they forged for, for students today. But there's a huge amount of disillusionment, um, worry. We've found that, you know, in the pandemic, there's, there's just been a lot of hopes wasted. Um, there's too many young people disconnected from good education and economic opportunities. And they feel this exclusion in really deep personal ways and damaging ways. Um, so, you know, as well, the mental health has been an issue. We speak about that quite a bit. But as resilient as our youth are, there's also, you know, in this pandemic, it's created, you know, struggles with, with regaining and reinstituting passions 
and dreams and just getting motivated and uplifted again, and especially in the face of unemployment, which, you know, if you think of those deaths, they're just shocking. It's, I mean, just let this sit for a minute. That three out of four South African youth between the ages of 15 and 24 want a job but can't find one. And between 25 and 34, more than half of them are unemployed. Um, so it's, it's a huge uh, burden on their shoulders as well. So that's sort of the temperature that we're seeing at the moment. Dr. Paddy, is it unfair for the youth of 2021 to be so disillusioned with finding jobs? Um, is, it, is it really unfair or is it understandable that um, they are still looking for jobs, even if we're in the, you know, we are far beyond the stage where we should be looking for jobs, but rather creating jobs? Well, I, I think, uh, well, I, I don't know what unfair means. Uh, certainly, they have been betrayed. I mean, uh, the, the youth movement mm. uh, from as early as the 40s has been a character of uh, struggle. They have been etched in, the, in, the, in the, the, the belly of the struggle. And those people who were there in the 40s, who were there in 1976, who were there in the students' fifth must fall. The same movement, expressing their view about the future and etching themselves into saying what that future should like, look like. Uh, it looks like uh, there is a continuous betrayal of the aspirations of the youth by when they become adults. So th- this is a, a, a fundamental flaw in trying to wage struggle, that uh, we metamorphose into something else when we become older. We actually get sold or traded for the aspirations we had when we were younger. Uh, So there there has to be something that has to change fundamentally. Otherwise, uh, there is no solution in sight. And this has to do with the political economy. And if we don't start addressing that political economy and transforming it in ways that uh, we had a lens on it when we are younger, future generations of youth uh, will face the same kind of situation. And therefore, there will not be a country called South Africa. So <laughs> it requires real serious uh, relook. 45 years down the line, mm. we have this kind of situation where the youth of 1976 are languishing in poverty, desperate, together with their children. Uh, the youth of 2015, mm. who are saying fees must fall, have no jobs. So whatever path of economic resolution we have followed has proven again and again that it is not the path that we should follow. It has been deepened than by the COVID-19. And indeed, the Washington consensus is being even thrown away by IMF itself. Nobody's any longer supporting that boldly. So we have to change course. But why are are, are we, uh, or why is South Africa not making this headway when it comes to reducing the rates of unemployment among young people, uh, Dr. Bali, are, are we not listening to them? 
Well, we haven't. We haven't listened to them. What is worse is that uh, the share of youth employment in 2008 uh, was much higher than now in 2021. The statistician general released the unemployment figures. I also looked at these figures when I was a statistician general as early as 2016. And I pointed out to the fact that uh, the share of the youth 15 to 34 is being eaten by the adults. And this cannot give the youth any sense of future. Uh, I crafted it as the, the mother cat eating its kittens. Mm. So if you think about uh, the share of uh, unemployment by the youth, Two million of them have lost that share. In absolute terms, they have lost that share which they held. Both at 15 to 24 and 35 to uh, 15, 24 to 34. 25 to 34. They had a, a significant share which they have now lost. And that has been transferred into the, the, the adults. So it is clear that there is a, a deliberate transfer function of benefits to adults away from the youth. So, and this is a policy uh, decision. It's very, very deliberate in terms of how it steals away from the youth uh, to the adults. And because it's a policy decision, it means it is a decision that can be reversed in favor of the youth instead of uh, in favor of the adults. So uh, fundamentally, this creates conflict between youth and the adults, and it's etched in the nature of the political economy. Mm. Mm. It's by design very, very faulty. It's a failed, failed, failed policy by design. It does the same for women. So for, for those who are secluded from the public space, uh, they are not secluded by accident. It's by design. So they, they, they're tinkering on the margins, saying that uh, we uh, reduce uh, violent, like, violence against women and so on. It's a design issue. It's a policy design issue. Mm. And uh, our announcements are not going to change that policy design if we don't change the policies themselves, fundamentally. Mm. Yes. So, Raya, what do you think about that? Because I think Dr. Uh-huh. Badi does make a good point there, is that there's always emphasis, there's always... Um, campaigns or, or commitments being made, but the policy in itself still doesn't allow for that opportunity for young people. Yeah, I, I totally um, agree with the, with the doctor. Very honored to be on the panel with him. Um, but you see, he, he says something so critical, which he says we're not listening. Mm. You know, if you look at social media today, there's somebody named Gentle Giant, and this is what he said. Unemployment is evil. It robs you of dignity. It makes you question a lot of things. It causes depression. It reduces you to begging and pleading beyond normal standards or asking for help. It has psychologically incapacitated many and traumatized a generation. So that key of listening is so critical. And and in terms of, you know, the legislation and, you know, how he's saying that it, it's failed by design. And, you know, you also mentioned the issue of women. We know that, you know, 8% of men are more likely to get a job than women. And it's, it's policies, I think, of, you know, 
Mauritius, for example, who instigated a legislation that said for every listed company, there must be at least two women on the board of directors. Mm. So it's really instigating, you know, equality in, in gender equality as well in terms of those um, as well. But a lot of those economic and political policies that need to be in place really need to as well, you know, institute and support disruptors. So there's no alignment between ideas and skills and startups and promoting entrepreneurship um, and really, really, uh, you know, giving them a boost to be able to go with the ideas that they have. And entrepreneurship is quite key to, to of course, building jobs. Um, but as well, you know, these firms that do exist also should be incentivized to hire these young, unskilled workers. And there's so much value. I can even speak from our or- own organization when we have hired youth who did not come with experience, but they came with job readiness. So they came with passion. They came with you know, skills that they had gained in their education, but that desire and that commitment to, to want to learn, which is, is so critical as well. That's the voice of Soraya Jones. She's the director at Inyatelo Finance. We're also speaking to Dr. Badilo Hodla. He's South Africa's former statistician general. And we're looking at Youth Day, uh, but also in particular challenges facing the youth uh, today in 2021. Of course, this conversation is um, brought about by the fact that today we celebrate the youth of 1976, who marched peacefully to demonstrate against the government's directive to have Afrikaans as a compulsory medium of instruction. Let's go for a break and we'll continue with our guests. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NETLEC to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. I've tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Have you ever asked yourself, what on earth am I here for? When God placed his image in us, he placed a sense of eternity within us. What is my purpose in life? I was made for greatness. I just don't know what it is yet, but I was made for greatness. Life by Design explores the journey of people from around the continent who live a life of purpose. They share their experience on how they discovered what they were meant to do. Join me, Amanda Machaga, every Monday at 8.05 Central African Time for your weekly dose of Monday Motivation only on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Life by Design. Be the update of your life. Welcome back to African Dialogue. And today we're celebrating Youth Day in South Africa, the 16th of June, 1976. will forever be remembered 
as the day thousands of students marched peacefully to demonstrate and protest against the government's directive to have Afrikaans as a compulsory medium of instruction. But we're also looking at youth challenges overall in 2021. And uh, what do we do as young people to navigate around these challenges and uh, seek the opportunities that they so uh, desire? We're on the line to Dr. Badili Hotla. He's the former statistician general in South Africa, as well as Soraya Jones from the Inyatelo Finance, and she's a director there. Soraya, what would you say um, for on the role that technology has played or, or impacted on, on, on jobs, uh, opportunity or creation of jobs in particular with young people? Oh, um, you know, the pandemic has just underscored this inequality. Um, you know, for those who have PCs, tablets, smartphones, um, it's been a great opportunity. But for those that don't, it's, there's been a huge opportunity cost um, who are not enabled digitally. In fact, I mean, this is quite an old stat. In 2019, it said that 10% of South African form homes had affordable fixed internet. And of our, you know, seven and a half lower income earners, they pay 80 times more for internet access than their better off counterparts. So, you know, these barriers play a huge role um, in even searching for jobs as well. Uh, But what we can say is there's been, you know, there was an article that came out yesterday. It followed 2,000 youth in employability programs. Uh, that are largely run by nonprofits and social enterprises, and they followed them over six years. And it just the access that they had through these programs was enormous. So they were given digital access. They were, um, you know, given extra skills and training, and also improving their self-esteem and efficacy. So these programs that help with job readiness are also quite key. Um, even though many of those jobs aren't there, those that are there uh, can be accessed through these very effective programs. So we need to support them. We need to support those programs because they're, they're shown to be effective as well. Dr. Lehuta, is it a matter of skills um, or is it, is it also a combination of you know skills and, and opportunities and really just trying to make or get the youth to thinking out of the box more? No, no, I think uh, saying the youth must think out of the box is terribly misplaced. Mm. Uh, and it uh, deals on one individual who has exiled, and that person gets glorified that he has exiled. Yes, we can glorify that person he has exiled. Mm. But to imagine that all youth will exile when the conditions don't allow, it's actually terribly misplaced, and politicians keep on announcing this all the time. I mean, the president and the minister of education want to congratulate a matriculant who pass. In South Africa, only 10% of the children born will go beyond matric. So there's a fundamental thing in the system that has failed, that has to be cor- corrected. And they also think they see progress in that 10% that goes to university because maybe they'll grow by just 200 people more. It's actually misunderstanding and ignoring the numbers. The numbers are saying even a million children that get born, only 150 of them, 1,000 of them, will actually complete metric successfully. 
which is a constitutional right, basic education is a constitutional right. And if we only have 150,000 succeeding, there's something that has totally failed in the system. And we have to go and look at that design and say, what is it that we have to fix in the system? And the question is, what happens to that 800,000 plus? Yes, of course. Mm. That's where they are now. That's why we have 75% of the burden of unemployment falling on youth. That is why the jobs are being transferred from the youth to the adults. It's fundamentally a faulty system. And therefore, by, when you transfer jobs from the youth to the adults, you tell the youth that there's no future. You are on your own. Uh, and therefore, you cannot expect youth to think out of the box. What box is there? There's no box at all. In fact, there's a box that constrains them from thinking altogether. Mm. Because every signal they see is one which boxes them in. And you are saying they must do work more, work more, work more harder. It's not. There's something fundamentally wrong. Mm. In Sweden and all these countries in Korea, the system is open. It allows the youth. It gives them the opportunity to do what they have to do. And that's why they don't have high unemployment rate. In China, for instance, even in the presence of technology, fundamental manufacturing and all those jobs continue to grow. Uh, and we made wrong choices as a country by saying manufacturing is soon going to be replaced. And the modeling that is done by Treasury and everybody else says mining and manufacturing are, are sunset industries giving way to technology. In China, it is not. So it is policy design and understanding those policies, how they articulate, and it's a deliberate political economy design. Mm. And these fundamental market, markets that determine everything surely are the things that have led us to where we are. Mm. I'm not saying that the markets are wrong. Of course, they are there, they have to be. But they are influenced by policies so even now, the reconstruction and reform program has nothing in terms of what it will ge- how many jobs it will generate. If you take, for instance, 300,000 jobs for children who have to help uh, education professionals, is that the way we should go? I would say no. You don't solve a problem of educate employment by providing children to go and try and help teachers. Education is so fundamental. You've got to professionalize those people first, train them well, and then you can deploy them in schools. This is no different from a kid's police when the, 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 Africa, the, the apartheid system was quelling the eruption in Soweto and everywhere in South Africa, where the police were trained for a few days and then unleashed into the society. It is exactly the same thing now that is happening in education. Sir Wood must be very happy in his grave. That was the use of teaching Bantu. Mm, mm. So instead of doing that, I would take the 300,000, put them through a training program, Sarah, and then deploy them in those children that will be six years old in six years' time. But I'll, start, I'll use this moment to do and plan that well so that whatever teacher stands in front of any child in South Africa is a well-trained thinking about the future of the South Africa of the future. Mm. We are not doing that. We are in this vortex of short-termism, and we think we are solving problems. Mm. We are not. Mm.
Look at the reconstruction and recovery plan. It has no targets on employment. It has no targets on poverty. It has no target on inequality. And we are saying it must be different. By the will of God, no. It will not. What are the alternatives now, um, Dr. Lehotla, looking at the situation, looking at also the job market is shrinking? What, what are the alternatives for, for these young people? Well, certainly there will be casualties because our system has been creating these casualties all the time. But our solutions are not reducing or eliminating the prospect of casualties. They are just deepening that prospect. So we, we've got to go back to design thinking and designing systems that will resolve those things. One of those, which is very clear in the statistics of the statistician general, and it's been clear all the time, that the driver of poverty is unemployment. And embedded in that unemployment is a lack of skills, which is education. When you have a university degree, whatever degree it is, you are less likely to be unemployed. Unemployment of the, those with degrees is 9%. So education pays, whatever that education. But if you were to then think about what that education should be, which must be free at tertiary, then you will resolve the problems of, of, of unemployment. What education is there in, in primary schools and so on, then you will resolve these problems of unemployment. It's not something that you say, in five years, it's something that to say in 40 years, in a generation, we'll resolve this problem. Which means, at the moment, instead of saying, let's give 300,000 children jobs to go and help teachers, we should say, we are taking these 300,000 children, year in, year out, 300,000, bringing new skills that they will actually, when they, in another six years, when a grade one starts school, we'll have a cohort of people who will train them for a different future. I don't see that on the table. I haven't worked how much that will be, but that's the kind of thinking that we must be doing now. But to try and throw in 300,000 and say they must help teachers, you're confusing the system which is already unstable. I mean, it shows the limitation, the limits of thinking that our government has and our society. You cannot throw in 300,000 people into that system. No, it's wrong. You, you can throw 300,000 into public works to go and clean the dams and do all those kinds of things, but not in education. Soraya, what, what are your thoughts looking at alternatives but looking for... Um, a way forward for, for these young people because, you know, the solutions should be more long-term. Mm. Yeah, it's true. There's no no quick fixes. But, mm. you know, just as we said that education is a constitutional right, you know, data is a human right at the moment. So I think this digital divide is, is a huge barrier that needs to be tackled. We're now competing in a global world with borders. Things are becoming more competitive. Jobs are not only here at home in South Africa, but, but across the world in essence. So you have programs that are teaching on coding, for example. But that transition, I love what was said. We have to take these grade ones and, you know, direct them towards a different future because that transition towards, you know, a modern economy needs to be incremental. 
Um, but that said, you know, there are, like there are no quick fixes, there are, you know, um, programs and things that are being put in place to help assist. I mean, if I look, and I can speak from the seat of being in, in the nonprofit sector, but the Learning Trust, for example, which supports after-school programs, uh, published a, a study last month, and it really looked at this, the quintile schools one in three and the gap between those and four to five quintile schools, and it showed that this gap is narrowed for granted a smaller amount of learners, but through the academic support they receive, through the time and education they're receiving, um, you know, health and safety, nutrition, their well-being, of course, access to resources and so on. And it showed as well, the, it's a study really that is fascinating that should be read by anyone who's, who's passionate about the education, which all of us should be. Um, but it looked at statistics way back in 2016 that looked at looking at a grade four learner who reaches a level of being able to read for meaning. And it said the investment, because they're not reaching that level at an appropriate age, the investment is, you know, over 400000 in their education. Whereas if they did reach that level of reading in the proper time period, the investment in that education is 25%. So the stats are there. The numbers are there. We don't need convincing to know that the education system needs, needs an overhaul. But, you know, in terms of answering your question directly about what are the prospects for jobs and so on, you know, I can just sort of, there was a program we ran called YIPSA years ago. And it sounds ironic because it was a, it was a youth in philanthropy program, South Africa, which, you know, listeners are probably thinking, we're talking about destitute, disadvantaged youth who can't even get a job. Why are we speaking about philanthropy with them? But we ran this program with a mix of schools, and some of them were in disadvantaged areas. And what was incredible was despite their financial struggles, they were able to raise resources to outreach into their communities to, for example, be able to paint a crush in their neighborhood. And so these kinds of, you know, a handbook was produced, it's available for free online, but those kind of student action learning um, is so powerful because it, it gets you ready or it also instills those entrepreneurial senses in terms of business skills. You know, like it talks about what is a SWOT analysis, it talks about working as a team, how do you report, how do you mobilize, whether it's funds or human resources, time, or material resources, free paint, for example. Um, it teaches financial skills, which is sorely lacking in, in our education system. How do you draw up a budget? How do you manage money? These are skills that we use across our lives as well. Um, and it teaches you to tell a compelling story, which all of us need to do in any anything that we're going to pursue in the future. But I think for me, above anything else, is it also instills, you know, this ethics of honesty, accountability, transparency, and all of those good governance skills, which if you think, you know, what has happened with state capture um, in South Africa, if there's a sense of accountability and people are sentenced, that also plays a huge um, moral and upliftment and optimism across the board and with our youth as well. So I can just say we've seen a lot of examples of youth who are very entrepreneurial, largely starting organizations themselves who are helping youth as well themselves 
Um, there's a quote by one lady who started the Dream Factory Foundation, mm-hmm. which instills skills in youth and, you know, also uplift and, and empowerment in, in who they are. And she, she said, I believe the inspiration to dream is vital to the welfare of society, and it's the difference between those who succeed and those who fail in life. So while I know the metrics aren't there and we have a lot of work to do in creating jobs, still that ability to dream is important, especially if you're looking for job creation. Mm-hmm. Dr. Lehotla... Uh, let, let me come in. Yes. I mean, what, what Soraya is saying is very true. Mm. But the focus of government is not on those scaling up on those. Mm. It's something else totally... <laughs> I've been mean, non-innovative since ways of doing work. And it's really about looking at those and then bringing them to scale. Because over the years, you see the numbers have become stagnant of those who succeed in a constitutional mandate of a free basic education that they don't succeed. So by, by looking at this, we can actually and should be possible. Uh, for instance, I'll take a person like uh, King Kumaro uh, in Marisberg, uh, looking at Sweetwaters, where these youth were indulging in drugs and all that. And he moved with them, brought them to the legislature, and they've created something called the V-State, virtual state. Mm-hmm. And that youth has actually turned around have started doing work in their own communities. And if we we were to follow those kinds of models, you would actually uh, engage community members to resolve their own problems instead of bringing somebody from somewhere else on a tender to come and do something that yields no result to the community. Mm -hmm. So it is these that have to be focused upon that are not extractive in terms of expenditure, but uh, they advance the revolution in both skills, the revolution in thinking, and the revolution in social compacting, which is what South Africa needs the most at the moment. Where is the silver lining now, uh, Dr. Lehotla? When we look at the situation, it looks very bleak. Um, you know, the will is not there as well uh, from, from, from the government to change these policies that you are, you are referring to, the, these fundamental issues. But there must be a silver lining. There is a silver lining. Uh, even in Somalia, there was a silver lining. And I still hope that Somalia will get uh, their dream right. Uh, but at the moment, it's a downward stream. I'm, real, I'm a realist. South Africa is still going to go down for a long period of time because the momentum is carried by the youth that are unemployed, that see no hope. And that is going to take us long to try and uh, get them back. So there is a silver lining, though, because the human mind is for post- posterity. And because of that uh, idea of posterity and surviving into the future, uh, there is a silver lining. People will liberate themselves. They cannot be liberated by leaders. But once they've liberated themselves, they must be able to transfer that skill of liberation, that idea of liberation, to generations to come. In Korea, when you go there, 
they still say 60 years ago we were like this. Look at us now. That message is passed generation to generation. And that means those people are less likely to gamble with their liberation. So, so way to, or rather June 16, I think it's wrong to have called it a youth day mm. because we don't understand what youth day means mm. because it's uh, the day for spin or for, for, for all these kinds of things. But if it is named June 16, it leaves the younger minds, everybody in the world, to ask, what was it about June 16? And when we inquire, then you find what it was about June 16 and what you should do about it. So I think our naming, although what is in a name is the question, there is a lot in a name. Mm. If it's June 16, it's quite different from youth day. Sorai, what are your final uh, uh, sentiments to the conversation? Just summing up everything, we're looking at June 16, we're looking at um, the future for young people in South Africa, 10, 15 years' time. Oh, I think, you know, to go back to the silver lining theme, it's, it's to find the youth that are out there and to listen to what they're saying, to profile the ones that are there. There are tremendous role models. And that's what we need in life, right? You can never underestimate the the power of a mentor or of a role model. And they exist. We just need to profile them. Um, and I think, listen to them. I mean, you go to that site this morning. It's Youth Day. Kenyisa is saying, a youth, life does not get easier or more forgiving. We get stronger and more resilient. There's a will to want to make a change, and there's these voices that need to be brought into these, I think, political structures as well, and to to try and find a happy medium of things that will work in the long term, but also to look at what what programs are existing at the moment, and to enable them, make the structures easier, um, and yeah, just to provide an enabling environment for those that are trying to make that difference and bridge that gap at the moment and enable them to do so effectively. Well, thank you so much to both of you and uh, for giving us, you know, your thoughts and, and your insights on this uh, 16th of June. Now, I'm starting to question the youth datum as well now that Dr. Buddy has brought that into, into our conversation. But it probably is a conversation that we should be having on many platforms is to really question what do we mean when we say youth day? And uh, like you both say that it will take uh, only those affected to to rise up and um, uh, and free themselves from the situation. Thank you so much to you, Dr. Padile Hodla, the former statistician general in South Africa, as well as you, Soraya, uh, Soraya Jones from Inyatelo, and you're the finance director. Thank you both so much. No, thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective on the coronavirus. Coronavirus is a disease that causes respiratory illness like the flu with symptoms such as a cough, fever, and in more severe cases, difficulty breathing. You can protect yourself by washing your hands frequently, avoiding touching your face, and avoiding close contact one meter or three feet with people who are unwell. If you suspect to have contracted 
COVID-19, contact the relevant health authorities in your area. Keep listening to Channel Africa. The African Perspective will keep you updated on the latest on the coronavirus. That's all from the team today. Thank you to Benjamin Moshadama and Dumelo Zulu for producing today's show. Thank you to Dumelo Mugwena for technical producing us and for myself, Ayanda Mkwanazi. Stay tuned to Channel Africa. Africa Midday is coming up.